In Session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dalakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest books or topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I do the summary of the book from the past week, the book of the week for this week is Contagious by Jonah Berger. Contagious, Why Things Catch On by Jonah Berger. So I'll be talking about that book on next Monday's show. But the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight is We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. We Should All Be Feminists. So wanted to start off the show by just saying something about myself. I am Farid Hulakwi and I am a feminist. I am Farid Hulakwi and I am a feminist. I am Farid Hulakwi and I am a feminist. Now, it's interesting that saying something like that, which I think should be very easy for all of us to say, and actually I hope we could all say that, can almost seem like a bold statement or that I'm making a statement at all. But this points to the fact that, one, we still have a ways to go to achieve equality of the sexes in all degrees and in all ways, but also that there are a lot of, uh, or there is a lot of negative baggage that is attached to this word feminist or feminism. And a lot of it is based on misconceptions or misunderstandings of what it truly means to be a feminist and what feminism really is. And so in this book, We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, it's based on an almost close to verbatim um, a re- account of her TED talk she did back in 2012 uh, where she talks about feminism and she talks a lot about issues related to Africa or even Nigeria where she uh, is from um, but also talks about feminism and how it relates to the United States but really how it relates to the whole world and it's a really wonderful book a quick read um, and a very easy read so I highly recommend it and I hope people will read it and I'll talk a bit about the book and just my thoughts uh, about what she talks about but I did want to talk a little bit about these myths that we have about feminism and she addresses them uh, in, in this book as well but one of the myths that we hear a lot and one of the reasons people say they don't like feminism is they say because feminists hate men or they're anti-men but that is not the case if we look at actually feminism and she talks about a story of how one of her friends in a negative way when she was, uh, I think, around 14 years old, uh, called her a feminist, and she could tell he meant it in a bad way. And she decided to look it up, and then many um, 
afterwards she did look it up and she said this is what she found feminist a person who believes in the social political and economic equality of the sexes so the uh, basically the core of it is equality not hating men not saying women are better than men or should have more rights than men but the emphasis to me is on that word equality in all ways social political economic whatever else it might be so it's about equality not putting any group down now you might say i know a feminist or i've read a feminist book or article or some type of feminism that says anti-male things and i'm sure it is out there actually i definitely know it is out there but that's similar to someone saying christianity is bad because i know christians who say that the bible tells them to go and beat up gay people because that's how they interpret what they're reading it doesn't mean christianity itself is saying that or christianity is bad but it means that some people will take some type of dogma or religion and interpret it in their own way and of course feminism doesn't have one book that is its main book but if we look at it as an idea yes there's people that will take that idea to extremes and will make it a negative thing but that doesn't mean itself at its core it is a negative thing so we have to be aware of what we are talking about we're talking about the equality of the sexes that women should have equal rights in all ways to men and i think that's something that i would hope everyone could stand for and could stand up for and as she talks about in the book it's not just up to women to try to create equality and to be feminists but men need to be feminists men need to be standing up for women's rights and also recognize that by being a feminist and trying to create equality and also trying to create freedom of people being who they are that a woman can be whoever and however she wants to be that also opens the door for men to be whoever they are and however they want to be to be themselves to express whoever it is they are uh, she talks about this concept in nigeria of the hard man which probably just hearing that we can think of uh, in any culture we almost have this idea of men having to be strong and men having to not show weakness men should not cry men should always be able to provide men should not be vulnerable but as she talks about when men try to live up to this or try to be this hard man it creates what she calls a fragile ego which i think is totally true because when we try to pretend we are something we are not and especially when we try to pretend that we are invulnerable that we have no pain or weaknesses that nothing bothers us that we can overpower anyone we're of course going to be very fragile because that's not realistic and so of course it's going to be threatened at every or any moment if you need to be perfectly strong anything can make you feel that you're not that so you're going to be very fragile if I have to never be hurt, never be insulted, never feel insecure, never feel weak, I'm going to be very fragile. And that's what we see, is that when men feel so much pressure to be this hard man, to be this manly man, in the way that we talk about how men should be, they constantly can feel threats to that. And so instead of, let's say, expressing sadness or vulnerability that they are feeling, even to their loved one, to a their romantic partner because they feel like that would be unmanly and it would be a threat to this rather than showing some vulnerability which could create closeness they react with anger 
because anger, unfortunately, is still part of this toxic masculinity, this idea of what a man should be. So if he's man towards his wife or mad towards his wife, then that's okay and that can even be good. So men become angry, aggressive, even violent towards people that they love because that is almost more acceptable than for them to be vulnerable or that would not be a threat to their image of themselves as this hard man, this strong man. And so again, feminism isn't just for women. It is for women and men that we shouldn't judge people based on their sex and say this is what you're supposed to be or what you have to be or to say men do this and men don't do this and women do this and don't do that but actually allow for everyone to be who they want to be. To me, it's about that freedom and flexibility to be yourself, that you don't have to be something because of the sex you were born with. And that brings me to the second myth, myth I wanted to talk about when it comes to feminism, which is that some people say, especially some men will say, well, feminists just want men to be like women and for women to be men or for everyone to just be the same or especially that part, that they want men to become feminine, to become women. And to me, that's not at all what feminism is about. To me, again, it's about this idea of freedom to be who you are. If you want to be what is considered more traditionally masculine, and even the way we have prescribed these types of traits is worth looking at, but what we, let's say, now think of as masculine, you should be allowed to do that, whether you're male or female and also you should have the freedom to be masculine in certain circumstances and let's say feminine in other ones and again using those words even seems a little bit like we have to be aware of what we're talking about but that is true i think for every human being we all have these masculine and feminine traits within us and different situations will ask for different sides of ourselves to come out and we need to have that freedom and flexibility to be whichever part of ourselves we want to be ultimately, but also the situation asks of us to be. So if you're, let's say you think you're a very manly man and you're um, lifting weights, it could be good to get into that place that feels masculine, let's say to you, and you're lifting your weights and exercising, that's good. But then if you're going to a baby and you still want to go with that tough energy, that's not going to work. You have to be able to tap into a more nurturing side of yourself to be able to be loving towards that baby. It's the flexibility that is important. We want to give people the freedom to be who they are, but also the flexibility that in different situations, it will ask different things of us. She also talks about how oftentimes uh, people's response to feminism can be that, well, there really isn't such an issue, or why do you make everything about that? Why do you always bring up gender? Or why do you always bring up this issue? And I think it's good that she brings this up. Because something that we see is that the oppressed group doesn't feel good about the oppression, of course. But always, or almost always, the other group, the one that has the power, doesn't think there really is an issue and can get frustrated or annoyed that people keep bringing it up. So you might hear white people say, why do black people bring up race all the time? And you'll hear men say, why do women bring up gender issues or sex all the time. But when you're the one who has the power, when you're the one who's not facing the negative consequences, things can seem okay. Things seem all right. You don't see a problem. 
And then this is why oftentimes when we try to create equality, the group that actually had an unfair advantage now thinks that when things are becoming more equal, they're actually at a disadvantage, that they are being treated unfairly when really what we're trying to get towards is equality. And yes, if you used to have an advantage that was unfair and now that's being taken away from you or being equally distributed or becoming more, uh, let's say, fair overall, it's going to feel like you're losing something, like something is being taken away. But if you recognize there was an injustice to begin with, you can see that it makes sense maybe for you to lose what you had or for it to be also given to others, that they should all get that advantage. You should not get an unfair advantage. And recognizing that when everyone gets that advantage, when everyone gets equal rights, we all benefit. This is why we should all be feminists, because it is half the world, or I think she has some statistic that it's 52% of the world. And when we hold them back, we all pay the price. When people aren't given the opportunity to reach their full potential to do everything they want to do and they can do, we all pay the price, not just women, men and all of society, the whole world. We pay the price when we don't give people the opportunity to be everything they can be, to be educated, to become leaders. We need everyone and we all would benefit if everyone would be given a chance. And she also mentions how some people think, well, these things are just in our culture and so we should keep them. So even she talks about her Nigerian culture, uh, people might say this in our Persian culture, definitely people might say this or see this American culture, wherever you are, you probably will see this dynamic and people might think it's cultural, but culture evolves as she mentions. She shares how she has uh, at the time of the talk, two 15 year old nieces, um, who if they were born maybe a hundred years ago would have been killed because they believed in her uh, village, I think, that uh, twins were somehow evil or something was not okay. And of course, now we would just think that's crazy. Uh, and we would never think of doing anything like that at all. But that shows that culture is something that can evolve. It feels very real and very right and wrong to do things according to our culture and to not do things against the culture. But culture can and does evolve. And so we can evolve to create a culture where things are more fair where things are more equal, and we should make it a priority, each and every one of us, to do that. Um, let me share something she says in the middle of the book. Uh, she says, gender matters everywhere in the world. And I would like today to ask that we should begin to dream about and plan for a different world, a fairer world, a world of happier men and happier women who are truer to themselves. And this is how to start. We must raise our daughters differently. We must also raise our sons differently, end quote. And so that's what I mean. We need men and women to make these changes. We need to raise our boys and girls to make these changes, to create equality. So again, I am Fadi Tulakwi, and I am a feminist, and I agree with Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie that she says we should all be feminists, and I hope you'll read her book. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. 
Before the break, I was talking about the book We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and wanted to continue that discussion because a lot of people in countries like the United States might think, well, everything is equal now. Maybe before it was or maybe in other places around the world, things were not equal, but here things are equal. So what do people complain about? And yes, there is no, there probably are still some in some maybe more specific ways, but legally there's nothing that says women are less than men explicitly. And I, maybe someone listening can call and tell me that that's not the case. And I think there are some ways where maybe that is the case with things like maternity leave or paternity leave or other things of that sort. But there's a lot of laws that try to promote or create equality. So people will say, well, things are equal for men and women. And it's hard for me because I can't speak from my own personal experience to talk about the difficulties still of being a woman. But if you talk to most women, they will still talk about how although legally maybe things are different, does it mean that there isn't anything about their experience that we might not be aware of is actually still sexist. For example, being in the workplace, many women will still report, although people will talk about the Me Too movement and how people are being more aware and men have to be so careful and things like that, women are still being sexually harassed, mistreated, um, being looked over for different reasons, and there's still a lot of pressure on them not just pressure, but really discomfort that they have to go through, or not even just discomfort is maybe too, it's too mild a word, but really just uh, abuse and harassment that they deal with on a daily basis that men are not going to be aware of or won't even recognize. And I've talked to women, I was talking to someone recently who was telling me about something they were experiencing at their place of work that was just mind-boggling to me, but... Uh, I know that it isn't so rare of just being approached in certain ways, being talked about or talked to in certain ways that males don't have to experience. So there is that. And also um, another way we can see this is in the ways people act or how they are judged by how they act. There's a lot of articles and books that talk about how when women try to be leaders, they are looked at negatively a lot of the times. And very often a B word is used to describe them. But if a man does those same things, they are seen as strong and authoritative and confident. They are seen in positive ways. But if a woman acts in those ways, they're going to be looked at very negatively and have a different approach. So we might think that we've achieved equality here in the United States, that our job is done. But to me, it's very similar to the way people talk about race in America, where they want to live in a post-racial world, where they say, we used to have racism in America, but now we don't anymore. We're done. And especially uh, one of the, the things that's cited for this as well, we elected a black president and Barack Obama. So there's no more racism in the United States. How can we say there's racism when you have an African-American in the highest office in the land. And just because that happened doesn't mean that racism disappeared that day. And just because 
women have equal rights as far as the laws go doesn't mean that sexism has gone away. And someday when a female president is elected, that won't necessarily mean that we don't have sexism anymore. We don't have to worry about feminism or think about that. We're not there yet. There's many ways that women still have to feel pressures or experience things that men don't have to experience. And we have to be aware of those things. Even if we think about the way we prioritize certain traits, we can see that there is maybe subtle ways or maybe not so subtle ways where we value men more than women. One thing that stands out to me, and I remember hearing this in a lecture back when I was at UCLA in undergrad, was this concept of how we value masculinity or being a man over a woman. When you think about kids, for example, so with kids, you can call a girl a tomboy, and that's a, a girl who likes sports and is maybe more rough and tumble. We'll call them a tomboy. But this isn't a negative thing. It doesn't have a strong negative connotation. It can even be kind of good and okay to be a tomboy. But if you call a boy a girl or say he's girly, that's a really or considered a really negative thing. And the way I think the person giving the talk said it was that if you want to create a fight on any schoolyard in America, just tell the boy that this other boy said you're like a girl and they're going to just get really angry because it's so it's considered so bad for a man to be feminine or to be girly because we see it as this negative thing, as this um, bad thing. It's bad for a man to be like a girl, but it's not so bad for a girl to be more like a boy. And that can even be okay. This talk was given in the context of sexuality and even how men are so afraid to appear gay because that's a threat to their masculinity. And that's one of the reasons we see this exaggerated toxic masculinity of coming off very masculine because you have to make sure that's never questioned or it's not in question. So when we think about this idea that we have achieved equality, that we don't need to do anything else. We really have to make sure we're paying attention to what's going on, to hearing what people say. And as I mentioned in the first segment, sometimes men will think women are bringing up gender too much. But when people bring up an issue, when people are complaining about something and are saying that there's some injustice, something is unfair, I'm not saying they're always right in any case, but I think it's always worth listening to especially when many people are saying something, at least hear them out. So when a black man tells you that they still experience racism, even maybe every day, or experience it in really significant ways, and many black men and women tell you this is the case for them, I think it's worth listening to, to see what's there. And when women are saying they still feel that there isn't full equality, they feel treated differently, we want to hear them out. For example, I know female doctors who will talk about how they see how differently they are treated compared to their male counterparts, both by other doctors and also by patients. There's still this idea that the man is going to know more, even though I remember seeing a study that was saying that women doctors were better than male doctors. I don't remember exactly their criteria, but like a lot of things you see online, it was definitely a headline that got a lot of attention. Um, but it was saying that 
there can be actually uh, advantages to female doctors over male doctors. But if you go into the field, you'll see that there's still a preference. And I've even worked or met, especially Iranian men, but even women, who will say that a, a doctor isn't a doctor unless it's a man. They don't really trust a female doctor. That's not uncommon because it's this idea that a man knows better and knows more when this is not the case. And actually, in the book, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie talks about leaders and how, yes, before it maybe made sense for men to have more power because physical strength, which men in general have more of than women, um, was something that was important before to survive. And so that made sense. But now when we look at power and we look at leadership, physical strength means absolutely nothing. And so when we need leaders, we need them to be intelligent, we need them to be uh, compassionate, we need them to have emotional intelligence, have empathy, understand both sides, be innovative, a host of different characteristics that are neither male nor female, that it's not just one gender has the advantage. We need people who are capable, and that's not something that is limited to gender. We need to be able to find the best people regardless of gender. So we have to recognize that there's ways that we see things and you might not realize it. And even me, as I'm talking, I'm sure I have biases that I'm not aware of when it comes to men and women. And I've talked before about this idea of unconscious bias, that we all tend to hold on to different beliefs or ways of looking at the world that we don't even realize that happen automatically. So you hear that someone is a woman and you already have some assumptions you make or when you're comparing let's say a male doctor to a female doctor you already have assumptions you're making in your mind that you are not aware of and that those assumptions those automatic biases that you have are going to make an impact or can make an impact in the decisions that you make or the way you treat one person or another and just an example of how you can see how things can change and i've even noticed things change in my lifetime, there's this kind of riddle that when I was a kid, I think had more of an impact than it does now, or was more of a riddle than it does now, because I think we can see how things have changed. And you've probably heard it before. Um, father and son are out together and they get in a car accident. And I, let's, I think the father dies and the son goes to the hospital. And when the son gets to the emergency room, the doctor looks the son or looks at the boy and says i can't operate on this patient he's my son and when i was a kid people would get stumped by this it was very hard for them to figure out what how is that possible if the father died how can the doctor be uh, the, say that this is my son and people would say things like okay well, maybe it was an adopted son and so this is the biological father or they would try to come up with theories and it was less likely for it to come to their mind that the doctor could be a female that this was the mother of the child and so she was saying i can't operate on the son because i'm the mother of this this is this boy this is my son but now i think in somewhere like america people would be less stumped by this it would come to them much more easily that the doctor could be the son's mother that there's enough to be some crazy explanation so even i can realize in my own lifetime maybe 30 years ago, I actually remember it, I think it was on the Cosby show that this riddle was posed and um, I think Cliff couldn't figure it out or something like that. But it showed that 
but it was showing how hard it was for someone to think or less likely it was for them to think of doctor as female. But we see how things can change even just in maybe one generation or some time. So we can change these things, but we have to become first aware of them. And as she mentioned in, mentions in this book, having conversations about gender, just like having conversations about race, tend to make people uncomfortable. People don't want to have those conversations because they don't feel very good. And we have this tendency to prefer saying everything is okay, everything is fair. There's a psychological concept, need for a just world, which is sometimes what can make people blame the victim when we say, okay, well, someone was raped. We shouldn't maybe think, well, she shouldn't have been jogging that late at night. Or she talks about in this book some story uh, that happened and people would say, well, why was the girl in a room with four boys to begin with after she was brutally raped by all of them? And so we blame the victim because it's easier for us to think the world is fair. If something bad happened, they did something bad. It wasn't like just bad things happened to people. And so we use this also in a way of just trying to say that everything's okay. There's no more racism. There's no more sexism. We solved all those things. Let's not talk about it anymore because that feels more comfortable. That's easier. And again, especially if you're in one of the groups that's not being oppressed, it feels a lot easier to not talk about these issues because you already like the status quo. But we have to recognize that things are not fair for all people, that there are injustices out there, and we have to accept that the world is not fair and sometimes people will say things, actually, they'll use what I just said as a justification, where things are, they'll say, life isn't fair, so whatever. Okay, I actually acknowledge that life is not going to always be fair. Sometimes things happen that are unfair, unjust, just by circumstance or, you know, accidents happen and things are definitely unfair in the world. But we as individuals should, we should be striving to create a more fair and more just world. We have to create fairness and justice in the best way that we can. That's all of our responsibility. Every one of us should be creating that. We wouldn't accept something like that just if you went somewhere and you went to a restaurant and they just took your food to another table and said, well, life's not fair. Get out of the restaurant. You wouldn't say, okay, life isn't fair. I'm going to leave. And this is, we're just talking about food and some money that you paid for your meal. But when we're talking about people's rights, of course, people are not going to want to just accept that it's that life isn't fair, so they shouldn't say anything because it's going to make some people uncomfortable. So as you've heard me talk about on this show many times, I'm very much for uncomfortable conversations, whether it's in the context of a friendship, family relationship, romantic relationship, or society at large. We have to have these conversations. We have to realize that we still have a need for a word like feminism because we don't have equal rights yet. We have a need for things like International Women's Day and um, different days that recognize women because we don't have women's rights or women's equality yet. Once we do, there will be a day when we'll look back at feminism as something in our history books because it won't be needed anymore because we will, we will have achieved equality. We'll have realized what we need to have realized to make that happen. But we're not there yet. We still need these thoughts and ideas and to have these conversations as uncomfortable as they might make us because we are not there yet. So let's get to our last commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. 
Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you for answering. Sure. Um, Dr. Farid, I wanted to speak to you about um, my marriage. Um, there's, I have been married for uh, three years now, and there's a lot going on, but I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just mm -hmm. going to make it short. Okay. Um so my main problem right now with my husband is that, um, I don't know how to explain it. So we are not on the same road. He He's very, um, like, traditional Persian. I almost grew up half of my life in the U.S., and there's a lot of things that we have conflict about. So... When I say he's traditional, he wants everything to go his way, and as Persian men. Um, so I don't know how to handle with that. I have been speaking with the counselor for over two years, and I dated my husband for almost four years, and I knew there were some issues, but I thought I was young, and I thought everything will be fine after getting married. But unfortunately, um, you know, problems got worse and nothing got better. Mm -hmm. um, there was a few times that we actually talk, talked about divorce, and as we got closer to making a decision of getting separated, he stopped me from doing it. And there was a lot of things on my path that it just... It stopped, and I was actually scared, and I don't know. I don't know what to say. There's scared, a lot of my Scared of what? Scared of what? Being alone. Okay. Well, um, it's good to acknowledge that, but we know that the fear of being alone should never be our reason for staying with someone. But I did want to make a few comments on the things you shared, and it seems like you have awareness of them, but like a lot of us, maybe the awareness wasn't enough. Uh, one big thing you brought up was that you you saw the problems before the marriage, but yeah. you were hoping marriage would make them go away. And what we see is that whatever problems you have before marriage tend to just get worse over time and become bigger. Exactly. And so I say that to all the people listening because a lot of people think that, you know, they kind of are in la-la land when they're, uh, you know, getting about to get married or they see issues. And you know what, but when we get married, I think, he'll change, or I think she'll change, or oh, maybe this won't bother me anymore, or whatever it might be. And that's not the case. We have to be aware that whatever it is that's bothering us is only going to get worse or more intense and become more important when we become married. And that's why it's very important for us to work on these things. And I'm a big proponent of premarital counseling because uh, people often think, well, how could you need counseling before you get married? Does that mean your relationship is already that messed up? But it's no, it's not that. It's that you're going to strengthen the relationship. You're going to see what problems are there. Even really, you're looking to see if you're a match, which you can help clarify that. And that's something people sometimes avoid going to therapy because they're actually afraid of that. They're afraid that if they go, someone's going to tell them they're not a match and they're clinging to the relationship for whatever reasons they have to be in it. Um, and so they don't want to face the truth. But so premarital counseling is about looking at what's there, uh, seeing if you can resolve it, seeing if you're a match, and also working on things like communication and building a stronger relationship. So I wanted to make that point. But then the other thing we will talk probably more about, you talked about 
your husband being more traditional. And this is where culture, although I don't think that people from two different cultures can't get married, but we have to recognize that culture itself is a very a complex issue. So two people, just because, let's say, they are Iranian-American or Iranian-Australian or Iranian-French, doesn't mean they have the same culture. Because I think a lot of people think that here in the United States, they'll say, well, you're Iranian, she's Iranian, you're Iranian, he's Iranian. You guys have the same culture. But culture is much more complex than that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying you necessarily don't get this. I just want for listeners to hear this because sometimes they'll think, well, if you and your husband are both... Well, by the way, is he Iranian? Yes. Okay. I am Iranian. Yes, too. exactly. Just, I didn't know how to explain it. No, no, you explained it quite saying, well. because yes. what, And that's what I'm saying okay. is that people can have be the same name, Iranian-American, but culturally be very different because if he is much more Iranian in his gender roles and the ways he looks at gender and how husband and wife and man and woman should be, and you're more American, let's say, then you guys could have conflicting gender roles, and that's when it becomes an issue. If you're both traditional, it can work out. And if you're both, let's say, more Americanized, if you want to put it that way, it'll be good too. You'll be on the same page. But that's actually why I tell couples to actually talk about this or look into this. Are we aligned in our gender roles, the way we look at gender roles and the way we look at how a marriage is going to look like between us? Because that's very important. Exactly. Yeah. There were two things I wanted to speak to you about. Okay. Uh, first of all, I went through depression and I am taking some medicine and it's it's kind of working, but it's not fixing my main problem, which is my marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right now, my husband gets upset of everything. He has anger problems. And it used to be worse the first two years, and it was very worse. And he would yell that, and he would break stuff and curse at me. And... That stopped because I left him last year for a couple of months, and I I was not coming back. And one of the things that his parents and he wanted me to come back home, I told him, if you want me back, certain things need, need to stop, you know. Mm-hmm. And those have stopped, but the problem is still there. It's just... It's so much. My main concern is I want him to see a counselor. That's the first thing. But mm-hmm. um, he doesn't want to do that. And that's not fixing our problem. Communication, he's not good with that. We cannot have a healthy relation, like healthy communication. Yeah. Let me ask you I something. Com- yeah, let me ask If you ask him, is he happy in the marriage? Does he seem happy? No. Okay. And if yeah. you ask him what the problem is, what does he say? He said it's you. Okay, that's my. That was. I maybe should have said that f- first because I was almost certain that's what you were going to say. That he thinks you're the problem. Because mm-hmm. I see this a lot, yeah. especially in the traditional male, is that they think if there's any problems in the marriage, it's the other, it's the the wife, it's you, and that if you just it's did what he wanted or if you did everything right, exactly. there would be no problems. And that's not how. That's not going to be a healthy approach to anything, but especially to marriage. There's almost no way to resolve things when when only one person is deemed responsible. We we always have yeah. to need we need both people to get involved, and so if he's not willing to recognize that 
he contributes, and I'm not going to just blame him for all your problems either. I'm sure you contribute. But if he's not willing to recognize his contributions to the unhappiness he experiences in your marriage, it, there's very little hope for it to get better. You changing, uh, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to work because it's not the problem isn't just you. So the solution isn't going to be exactly. just from you changing. Exactly. Actually, I have worked on myself a lot. I try to be as close as the woman he wants. So I thought that might motivate him to want to change and be the man, you know. Yeah, but the problem is. Yeah, but but the you know the thing is even hearing you say that, and I think in a relationship we definitely should work towards uh, giving our partners what they want. I mean, we should be making efforts. Yeah in that way but to be the woman he wants the way i heard you say that is you weren't being the woman you want to be that you're taking away yourself and that's going to be a problem and that's not going to be a long-term solution can we make some changes in behaviors that our our partner likes absolutely and i think that can be good or especially our partner might help us grow but in growth that we want too but not well let me act the way he wants me to act or let me act the way she wants me to act that's not going to work long term especially when it's maybe taking away from your identity or who you want to be, you're going to start to resent him for that. And maybe to him, he's going to think, oh, look, everything's perfect now where you're going to be very, very unhappy. And that's going to start to show. That's exactly what happened because my husband went through a very bad medical problem. He, we found out he had cancer and Mm. I was going to, I had a court date to get a divorce right before that, and this came up. And I just, you know, I love this person. Um, I just changed my mind. I said, things happen for a reason. I I said, thank God he's cancer-free now. It took a, you know, few months. Everything was good just because, you know, there was nothing to argue about. He was sick. He was in bed, you know. Mm -hmm. But the point is, um, I have treated him the way he wants a woman to treat him. He wants me to treat him just like his mother, which I cannot be his mother. Mm -hmm. And I was unhappy because I was not me. And I brought this up to him. I said, Oh, he he actually complimented me. He said, oh, you have been very nice the last few months, and this is how you should be, and we will never have any issues. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, hey, uh, first of all, you were sick. And second, I treated you like a mother, but I should be your wife and not your mother. And this person the last few months i am not happy this is not me i'm acting up for you mm-hmm. you know for you to be happy because you were going through a serious medical problem i want you us to be like 50 50 wife and husband and i shouldn't take all the effort and just do whatever you ask me to do and then he was like, well, we are going to have a problem because I told you, um, if you do as I say, we will never have an issue. And I said, this this is not going to work because I cannot always do as you say. I want to make choices. I want to do what I like to do. I want to be the woman who I want to be. And that doesn't, he just doesn't understand that. And my needs are very simple, like 
Um, you know, like the five languages of love. Yes, yes. And I, I, we only have maybe like two minutes left, so I, I don't mean to okay. cut you off. But I do want to make okay. some comments on what you said. You have the right to be the woman you want to be, and your needs yes. might be very simple. But they might yes. be very simple for a man who wants to meet those needs and who wants to have the same kind of relationship. But for a man who doesn't yes. want that, it's not the case. And you said the five love languages... You know, my statement to you right now of have a nice day is very simple. But if I say it in Japanese, it's going to be very not simple for you because we're not speaking the same yeah. language. So it seems like you exactly. and your husband speak very different languages. He wants a very different yeah. kind of marriage than the marriage you want. And he, from what you're telling me, wants a marriage where, as you yourself were saying, he has all the power. So he even said, look, everything is working now as long as you do everything I want you to do and be the woman I want you to be, we have no problems. But that's not, to me, a marriage. That's just one person yeah. controlling the other person. Now, if exactly. the woman he wants you to be is the woman you want to be, perfect. And that's what would be ideal for him, just like for you. You want to be a man with a man who wants to be the type of man you want to be with. That's obviously why we find yeah. a partner where we match. But it seems like there is a huge mismatch here. And what makes it even worse is it's not just a mismatch. It's that the way you describe him, he doesn't make it seem like he sees at all him as the problem, so he doesn't want to work on it. And in that way, it, it makes it less likely that things can work out. So even you're saying recently he's been a lot better, but it also sounds like recently for a lot of that time he was ill. So, of course, his anger is going to look different when he's sick in that way. But I would be concerned yeah. about even, one, those behaviors returning, but also just even if they don't, you, you don't seem happy. And I do have to stop the show, and I hope you can maybe call back and talk about it some more because I think I, we, there's a lot more to get into. But, um, you know, if you're not happy in a relationship or in a marriage, uh, you can't let the fear of being alone be the reason you stay. That's never going to be the right reason. So you really have to look at, is that why I'm in this? And is this person the right match for me? And if he's not willing to work on things, that puts you in a really tough spot. Uh, so hopefully you can call back and we can talk some more. But thank you for calling in tonight. Thank you. I will call back later. Okay, looking yeah. forward to it. Have a good night. Thank you. You uh, too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thank you to the caller there and all everyone listening out there. Big thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a good night. <laughs>